If you would please take out your Bibles and turn to our Old Testament passage, Isaiah chapter 40, we'll be reading verses 27 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you or alongside you. The page numbers are actually listed in the bulletin. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, beginning at verse 27. Listen here to God's word. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. Amen. Our first New Testament passage is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll be reading verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 24. We'll begin at verse 23. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm at the wrong place. My apologies. Beginning at verse 24. Here we go. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a, the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And then our primary text for this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be reading the first 17 verses. Of course, last week we looked at the the uh, chapter 11, the all, always known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. And now we have an exhortation by the writer of Hebrews for them as well as for us. Listen here to God's word. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you do, will not grow weary and lose heart." And you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there is no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, even he, uh, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and silently meditate upon God's word that we've read this morning. Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are that we can come directly into your presence through the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for us, who bore our, the punishment of our sins in his body on that cross, and rose triumphant from the grave, never to die again, who is seated at your own right hand, who ever lives to make intercession for us, his people. How grateful that we can come in the Spirit of God who indwells us and worship you in spirit and in truth today. How grateful we are that you receive our worship as your people and that it can, in fact, bring glory to your name. We praise you, Lord, that we could praise you in song today, and we give thanks to you that all that we sang about today is true and amen in Christ Jesus. And we ask now, Lord, we ask that you, by your Spirit, would move among us, and help us to receive the living and abiding Word of God and allow it to feed our souls and change our lives and draw us closer to you. And in this, Lord, you too would be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My question to you today is this. Where do your loyalties lie? To whom do you seek approval in your life? I think it, if you can answer those questions rightly, 
before the Lord, you are in a great place. But if you have questions and thoughts that have entered into your mind and you're not sure where your loyalties lie or where you seek approval, then it is not a good place to be. As we deal with this passage here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, we heard the fact that indeed... uh, that he is drawing another conclusion, and it is a great conclusion because it's based on what has been said before, that indeed he's been talking about these better promises that are now fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that these better promises that have their roots in history and that indeed have been uh, able to produce this great cloud of witnesses towering aboveness and surrounding us, for they did indeed live in anticipation of God's Messiah and God's kingdom to come. And yet they finished their course without receiving the fulfillment of these promises. They were not achieved in their day. Yet these faithful witnesses finished their course. And though they may inspire us and though they may encourage us to run the race of faith, the principal focus that the writer of the Hebrews wants us to to nail down and to get into our minds and in our hearts is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the principal focus. He is our example. And it's in the context of Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 17, that the writer of the Hebrews is exhorting them as Hebrew Christians and as us today to do four things. To ensure the completion of our faith course on life. And the first one is listed there. In fact, the first two are listed in verse 1. He tells us very clearly that there's some things that we need to get rid of. In fact, he says we need to lay them aside. The Greek word gives the idea of that we need to throw them off, that we need to take them off, that we need to be done with them. And what are they? Well, he, in this first verse, says that we need to lay aside every encumbrance. The word encumbrance is not something that we use much today, but it gives the idea of weightiness, things that are holding us down. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched a hefty person win a competitive race. Recently, I was watching TV, and there was a hot dog eating contest. And it drew a host of weighty epicures, if you will, competing to eat the most hot dogs in record time. Let me make you understand that this is not the type of race and competition (laughs) that the Hebrew writer had in mind. No, this is a race that is very competitive, that the writer is trying to help us to understand it's going to take the utmost discipline of body, of mind, of will, of spirit 
It is a strenuous training of racing, and it needs to be one in which we compete in just like an athlete would compete in the Olympic Games. When the writer tells us that we need to lay aside and to throw off every weight, I'm wondering what kinds of weight he has in mind. And I think what we need to take from this passage is that it means anything that would impede our forward progress as we compete in this fallen world on the course of faith of following Christ. So, with that in mind, if it means anything that would impede our forward progress, what are the barriers or the obstacles that are impeding your forward progress? to fully follow Christ. When I was thinking about this, as I was studying it, there was many examples that came to mind, such as the misuse of our time, the misappropriation, if you will, of the way in which we delegate our money, our resources, as well as our treasures. The other barriers or obstacles could include us even embracing too much of the way in which even the Christian society thinks we need to live today. In Christian circles today, there is this, this idea of normal human appetites and behaviors that we have now said are all right as living a Christian life. And I'd like to say to you, you cannot find them in the Scriptures as behavior that is befitting a Christian following Jesus. There's this rationale that's around today as well, that somehow we can have it our way as well as God's way at the same time. Beloved, this is a deception. This is not of God. We cannot have it our way and God's way at the same time. All of these are impediments. They're barriers that are making us lose our footing and stop the course that we're supposed to be on this progressive course of moving on for Christ. These obstacles, these barriers that I've been talking about, are actually generated, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, because we're yielding to the old nature. We're leading leaning on and we're yielding to the demands and the desires of our old nature. Which we are told very clearly in Scripture that we are to strip it all away. So, for us to compete in this race of faith, if you will, we must throw away everything 
that weighs us down and that hinders our advancement to compete in this life race of faith. The second thing he says we need to set aside or lay aside or throw off, he says, the sin which so easily entangles us. The ESV says it clings so closely. It gives the idea that indeed this sin is really close to us. It seems so obvious for us that we need to throw off sin, that we need to be done away with sin, that the instruction here almost seems unnecessary. Of course, we as believers are to be done away with sin. We're to throw off sin and all of its weight. But the fact remains, we don't always lay it aside, do we? The world, the flesh, and the devil is continually competing for our attention. It wants to tempt us. It's trying us. And when we concede to those temptations and its enticements, we are feeding and yielding to the desires of our old nature, our flesh. And we end up descending into deadly influences of sin. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, and we'll see how James exhorts us how we're supposed to deal with this aspect of sin coming into our lives. Notice here on verse 14, he wants us to really know where this temptation comes. It doesn't come from God. He says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. The writer of the Hebrews here makes it clear that this is a sin which so easily entangles us. It gives the idea that this sin is not something that we are repulsed by, but something that is alluring. It's something that indeed is maybe even attractive to us. And as it becomes alluring and attractive to us, we don't realize that it begins to encircle us and hold us down, almost with an ease, with with a, if you will, even minor resistance that comes from us. And I'm reminded that this sin is something that is likened to a prize fighter, because as he's training and all the rest of it, he's he's stripped down in order to get ready for the fight. But when he comes into the arena, he has this very proud look about himself. He's gowned in this flashy uh, silk hooded uh, garment, and he walks into the ring and he sort of parades himself around with this gown. 
But let me tell you something, folks. When that, when that bell rings, that garment goes off. Because if it doesn't go off his body, he'll be restricted from being able to run that race. That attire must be stripped away before he fights. Similarly, a runner must remove everything that might impede his progress to run the race. And that is the type of metaphor he's using here. So, let me ask you a question, beloved. What kinds of sin are entangling you and me today? You know, the Scripture is already clearly given us the source or the root cause. It's because of our sin nature. It's because of the sin that we still battle. But there are many, many examples that not only identify the sins, but also display sin's deadly results, which we need to take to heart. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse 12 says, Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. This exchange of putting off the darkness and putting on the light is throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, um, Paul amplifies this, and he says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness to the truth. Our Lord Jesus is the example, as I said earlier, And he makes it clear for us that if we are going to run this race, the encumbrances of the things that we think we can hang on to or the sins that entangle us, they must be laid aside. Because the race of faith is set before us, every one of us. It's abundantly clear by these verses that indeed the best defense is a deliberate, faith-driven offense that appropriates and uses the spiritual resources that God supplies us in Christ. There must be a spirit-directed readiness of our souls and of our minds to throw off those attitudes and those actions that are self-centered and self-turning. We need to turn away from them. We need to not only turn away, but to exchange them and embrace the new realities of eternal life that we have in the Lord Jesus. As Paul said there in Ephesians 4, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to put on the new self which is in the likeness of God and been created in righteousness and holiness to the truth. We need to remember 
that God is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One of the things that he reminds us of here is that this is no sprint. This race is a lifelong race. It is a marathon, and it requires patient endurance. In fact, this race is actually God-designed. It is designed to be, for every believer, a lifelong race. And it is obvious by the passage here that all of us, every believer, is enrolled in this race of faith. There are no exceptions within the body of Christ. Yes, the terrain, the tests, the timing of our races, they may vary from person to person, and they do. But as Christians, we have a faith race to run. And we must run it by the grace of God and by the power of the spirits with persevering faith. It is set before us. Who are we to look to? How are we to be guided in this course of faith? He brings it up there in verse 2. He says, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of faith. That fixing of our eyes gives the idea of looking away from everything else to set one's focus and full attention on a single object or person. And here... The object, the person that we're supposed to be focusing on is Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus Christ is the founder of faith. He is the finisher of the faith. He is the goal, and he's the one who brings us to the goal as we trust and as we obey him and keep our eyes fixed on him. And make no mistake, beloved, the race that we run is not too dissimilar to the one that he ran. If you look back in Ephesians, I mean Hebrews chapter 2, and look at verse 10, you'll see that even Jesus during his earthly ministry was running a race for us. It says, beginning at verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all one from one Father. And for this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. When Jesus came to this earth, he came with a mission. And that mission was to provide for us the way back to God. He is the one who came not to do his own will, but the will of his Father who sent him. John 6, 38. It was Jesus Christ who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you 
and for me. It was Jesus Christ who said that he is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus' whole life mission on earth was to do his Father's will and to accomplishment. And when he did it, it says here as well as in the beginning of this letter, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are called, beloved, to fix our eyes on him to focus our full attention on Jesus. For he alone is the resurrection and the life. And he, as the eternal Savior and Lord, is the only way back to God. In fact, he tells about this example of his life in verses 3 and 4 where he says, For consider him, for consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. I don't know about you, but there are days that I get weary. That I lose heart in this walk of faith. And I'll tell you why it happens. You could blame it on my age, me being out of shape. Um, You could blame it on a strenuous day. But the fact of the matter is, in most cases that I can recall, the reason why I lose heart and grow weary is because I'm relying on myself rather than on Christ. Can you relate? We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to be pulling the strength and the power that God gives us by His Spirit to live this life and to walk this life of faith. The writer reminds us here that our stand for Jesus and our stand against sin has not reached the degree of Jesus' sufferings for us. Yes, these Hebrews believers in the first century did suffer in the flesh. All you have to do is go back to chapter 10 and read verses 32 through 39. And we do too in this life. But we need to press on. We need to not grow weary and lose heart and shrink back. For the saving faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is, by its very essence, a persevering faith because it comes from God to us. And we're more than able to meet this challenge of striving against sin and fighting against sin. We mustn't give up. And though there are times that we feel like we have fallen, I want to remind you of Proverbs, what Proverbs 24, 16 says, a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in the time of calamity. That's why we read 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, because even the Apostle Paul never saw himself completing the race. He said, I, I discipline my body, I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So, how much time do I have? Ooh. <clears throat> so, what if we ignore or we choose not to run this race or decide to stop running or choose rather to be one of the spectators like the folks there who have finished the course in Hebrews 11? Well, I believe the writer of Hebrews has an exhortation for us there too. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. This forgetfulness, this, this idea of them forgetting is not an amnesia. It's a condition that has grown out of doubt and out of anxiety and out of pressure and the pain and the loss which accompanies those who are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. He says to them, God says to you, my son, you have, regarded, you have not regarded lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he reproves. And he scourges every son whom he receives. The Greek word discipline there is paideia. It gives the idea of training up, of disciplining, of actually parental instruction that encourages good, moral, right behavior of one's child. Throughout the Old Testament and in, into the New Testament, God looks at himself as a father who's taking care of his spiritual children. And he is not one to let us run loose. He is not one to let us have our own way. He knows the right way in which we're to go, and he fatherly and lovingly disciplines us to show us the right way. He will not let us go. God's fatherly love and discipline is for our good. And we're, not, we're told not to think lightly of it. The discipline of the Lord. Nor are we to grow weary by the times that he reproves us and corrects us or convicts us or even severely punishes us. It's all done because of his fatherly love. This speaks volumes to parenting today. We have lost sight of the fact that our children need to be disciplined. And we're reaping the whirlwind. Spare the rod, ruin the child. It's true today as it was back then. 
But it's also true of us because we're God's children. And we are all under his fatherly discipline. How are we responding to it? If you're here and you're thinking, well, I don't see any discipline of the Lord in my life. Writer of Hebrews says here, if you're without discipline, you're an illegitimate child, not a son. God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. What are some applications that we can take from this? Few. Let me ask you this question. Are there things in your life that are weighing you down that you need to lay aside? That you know God has revealed to you and you're still holding on to them? May I encourage you that whatever's weighing you down, that you lay it at God's throne and that you leave it there and not pick it up again. Secondly, if you think in your heart or you go in, in the place of your mind to places where you know that you shouldn't be going, and there are so much access points today, I won't even go into them all. You need to give them up too. They're not only encumbrances and weights, but they turn to sin. And they also creep in and keep you from a heart of worship, a heart of prayer, a a desire to want to know more about God and to serve him. If those things seem to be out of balance or just aren't right, I'd like to ask you to throw them off and ask God to forgive you and to help you change so that you can get back in the race and back on track. Possibly some of these other things as well as just your own way of living that causes you to lose sight of the vision, which is Jesus. It's always Jesus. He's the giver. He's the goal. If we've lost our vision or if it's grown dim, let me encourage you to rekindle that relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've decided to check out of the race and God wants you back in. Stop being a spectator and get back into the race by asking God to help you. Tell God where your needs are and he'll meet you there. He'll help you. He'll give you his Holy Spirit if you ask. He wants you to run the race well. And just remember this. This race of faith is set before us all as members of Christ's body. We need to take heed to the warning of Esau and his life who sold out for the pleasures of the world. And I'll leave you with this verse from Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. It says this, Those whom I love, Jesus said, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Amen.